two semi-finals. One of them went the way we wanted to, one of them didn't, but probably both went the way we expected. And what we ended up with is a juicy final, but if not the final that we really wanted in the end. You're very welcome to World in Union, Balls of East weekly rugby show. Me, Mick McCarthy, alongside, as always, Morris Brosnan, the doyen of rugby broadcasting and writing. Yeah, it could be worse. So, am I too early giving you that, that title, is it? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry, yeah, okay. Yeah. A L- little early in your career. The, the future doyen of rugby broadcasting <laughs> and writing, Morris Brosnan. Yeah, it could be worse, Mick. Like, the sun is shining. We've got a crack and final look forward to Avengers is out this week. Like, 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 <laughs> life is pretty good. Yeah, Avengers is out this week. Um, so by the time you, you'll hear this, uh, by the time you hear next week's podcast, we'll know what's happened in in the Avengers in the Marvel universe, yeah. and all will be different. And you know, may, maybe See, that was right. It was in my. Mo- I was at the, obviously at both of these games at the weekend, and all the while I was thinking about Avengers coming this week it's something that I've been kind of thinking about for the last couple of weeks I'm going to see it at the first show tomorrow yeah. and the whole, <laughs> the whole while I was trying to not shoehorn a reference into my copy for both Saracen and then Leinster that like they were they were Theos like they were Thanos they, they, they yeah. was, you know they had all these like potential massive you know villains like Ronan the Accuser and Red Skull and all these kind of people but finally you've just got this uber powerful kind of yeah, and you don't know how you're going to beat them being that and we get to see them face off against each other but so that, they're both Thanos th- that, that's, this maybe is the, the only way you beat Thanos is with Thanos yeah, 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 yeah. but this that's what this battle is ultimately is like it's the who deserves the tag I'll shoehorn that reference into my final copy for, yeah. for the final whoever wins is is Thanos it's kind of the ultimate that is their you know their end game for <laughs> I didn't expect to be talking about Avengers at the start of the show I, yeah. but I have to say you're um we were talking about it with Mark a little bit earlier on and because he's gone to see the previous screening tonight yeah. and you, your level of knowledge about the Marvel Universe and the Avengers and your theories and all, like it surprises me in some ways but anyone who also listens to the show and knows your level of detailed knowledge about the game of rugby wouldn't be surprised that you once you jump into something, you jump in pretty hard. Like So yeah, yeah your Marvel Universe... Uh, Heineken, Heineken Champions Cup and you know GA Club Month are the probably three things that you have your focus on at the moment is and, it? Yeah and I think like people take it too seriously sometimes like the, for me right like the Marvel Universe or these car- cartoon book movies or sports like and there's at times they've got really grandiose and important teams and stuff that they instruct but at the end of the day like fundamentally for me they're, they're kind of outlets like they're distractions from like there's so much kind of banal and terrible shit and everyone's always talking about like where the world is going and what yeah. is going to and sometimes it's nice to get a break from that and that from at its at its very fundamental level that's what sport is and that's what um that's what Marvel movies is so I'm incredibly excited for Champions Cup final and I'm incredibly excited for um for Marvel Endgame yeah and as yet it is a break from it but no break here because exactly, Vinny Villapola yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> no we will talk about it but we'll talk about it a little bit later on because first of all right so you were at both games you were in Coventry in the Rico Arena the half empty Rico Arena weirdly for uh the amazingly brilliant Saracens yeah. against the the still not quite there possibly I seen somebody refer to Munster as the only team on the second tier at the moment you know which was an, in, an interesting way of looking yeah. at it. I think Toulouse would probably you know argue with that and probably Rassing as well you know but there is a kind of a Munster is consistently there but not not quite not getting over that line is that kind of how you kind of just took it as that they're just not good enough of it yet yeah I mean like the, such a sport sometimes you know like a great team a really great team bet a good team a good team who has improved and has definitely improved but we spoke about this on this podcast last week Munster have improved since 2017 but Saracens are improving too and it's you're yeah. trying to bridge a gap there that's the, the big thing like you need like impetus to actually bridge that gap like the the start right Saracens were 
I think my biggest takeaway from this game is Saracens are just awesome. Like they are really, really incredibly in kind of every facet of the game. Like the, it's really hard to pick any flaws in, mm. in in their team. So when you see them kind of that up close, even to the extent where I remember when I was a kid, right? I used to watch the old um, Lions documentaries. You know the ones where yeah, living with Lions exactly. Yeah. yeah, and there was one in in two thousand and nine in South yeah two thousand nine South Africa where. In the third test, right, they Simon Shaw, the English second row, got Sinbin just before half time, and they come back in at half time. And Stephen Jones, when he was at his, his peak, was the the out half at the time, and he at half time they meticulously planned how they were going to play the game in stages. So they had six minutes to play because Shaw was had been Sinbin four minutes before half time, and they had six minutes to plan out. So he was like saying, you know, like to Paul O'Connell or these kind of players. You pick around, go around the corner, take your full five seconds, get a big long place. Your nine is going to take loads of time. Anytime I kick, I'm putting the ball dead. I'm not giving them a chance to pull us wide when we're down a man. Like meticulously planning their stages of the game, and that's what that's what Saracens did at the weekend. They had that game planned meticulously. Like they started by kicking the ball, kicking to the right side because Mike Haley is going to be blinded by the sun. So they start kicking, yeah. kicking the letter off the game. Like they knew they played the game in in phases, and then yeah. played the, that 15 minute phase after half time. Attacked that and by started to play rugby. And they like executed that perfectly, and it's really really hard to try and break that momentum. We'll hear from Peter Matney later on in the show. Peter Matney said it's kind of like it's wave after wave after wave. It's just so fatiguing. How do you, how how do you counter that? And I think that's like that's the biggest takeaway about this Saracens team. It's kind of they'll mix it with you. This is like it's like a boxing reference. You know, like the great the best best boxers ever are ones who make really really good opponents look totally amateurs. Yeah. Like they 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 mix it with them whatever way they want it, and that's what that's what Saracens are. If you look at uh, it's funny you mentioned the kicking into the sun because it really dawned on me during the second half. You know, Munster were in that game in the first half. Let's mm-hmm. not let's not pretend they weren't. They were yeah. in the game for 50, 60 minutes, and it just kind of got away from them at the start. Like the start of the second half, really, it just. It, you know, it wasn't this like breakout by Saracens, but they just stepped it up that little gear and got that. You know, what was it? They got the 13 points and there was really no way back from there. But it's funny you mentioned the kicking into the sun because that was such a theme of the first half. Yeah. And I'd forgotten about it. By the time the second half came around, it was just forgotten about. And there was about like, it was halfway through the second half. And the commentator says, and now it's Munster's turn to try and kick into the sun. And good caught it. And it was a good catch. And, it, so the, and it he's like, holding his hand up to block like, it. That is yeah. the first time they've done it. Yeah. And it was like, and again, it's not a ma- massive criticism of Munster. It's more that Saracens had that game down, like you're saying. And Munster probably just didn't have that level of, here's what we do. And look, there's lots of reasons for that. And we're going to talk about the fact that one team probably has Owen Farrell and the other has... Tyler Bryandell and it's it, it's 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 an unfair comparison and I don't mean again it's not that you, we're not being critical of these teams it's just that they lost the semi-final to probably you know one of the top teams that we've ever seen in club rugby yeah. so it's not that we don't want to be critical of Munster it's not one of those it's just that you it's unfair to be too critical of them because they're just not as good as this team but as you said when you've got as I said when you've got when you've got a player like Owen Farrell able to pick those spots you know, it it does make a big difference versus what what Munster have in that position. Yeah. Bearing in mind, their first choice out half was out injured. As well. I I think actually that was a a team across the weekend is what a what a good ten gives you in terms of uh, as a rugby team. And I think it's it was never more apparent for me than watching Munster. Like Tyler Brendel is a Pro fourteen level, really promising, and a player who's held in huge regard in terms of his knowledge off the fields out half like he's a good out half there's, there's yeah. no question about that but the difference between good and elite i think was really apparent at the weekend so say for example um monster ran a play do you remember this play they were attacking in the in the first half where they um rory scannell stood in at 10 and 
pass wide to Chris Farrell, who passed wide to Sweeten, who broke up the wide. Actually, ended in a penalty. Vinopolo went off his feet, bounced on it, his, like bounced on the tackler trying to get in over the ball and gave away a penalty. If you watch that play back, right? So it's coming off the back of a scrum, goes to Scannell to Farrell, and as Scannell is throwing the pass to Farrell, Blendell does what he's supposed to do, holds up his hands in the second channel and runs his screen, and then the ball goes wide. So he does, you know, he's if he, maybe he fixes the defender or he runs a dummy line. But the difference between good and elite is that then he stops. He stops running. And what what I think what should have happened on that play, and that play could have worked, like the move was good, is if he'd carried on his run and run at the inside shoulder of Sweeten. So he's an option. Like when we played back in my day, we used to call it like plus or minus. You just a quick shout, minus, and they'd flick the ball back inside and you'd come steaming onto it or plus or whatever. Like he could have ran that the minus line coming off the, the other shoulder. So carried on, you know, like added an extra phase to that. And then from the very next phase... The ball, it's clearly a call to go back across. Like they're trying to manipulate the backfield. So he catches the ball and spreads it wide. But it's it's like um it's like what a nine would do. Like a nine and you saw this in the Toulouse game. Like a nine's job is to pass the ball wide, get it quickly. Whereas a t- that's not what a ten should do. Like a ten is trying to fix somebody, you know, set somebody on their feet, like carry it to the game and then give it off. That's what Farrell does. That's yeah. what that's what Sexton does. And that's not what you got with with Brandel. And that's a really that's a really harsh criticism for a player who's had um, some severe injury issues like you're asking him to, to get physical to run at a gain line to, to try and fix a defender but ultimately like that's the difference you see a guy like Owen Farrell who just random like it's not random when he that's the wrong word when he just like out of nowhere it looks like fires the ball back off his right hand back right or, or back left yeah. like as a move is going all that stuff is you know asking questions of the defence constantly and that's what Saracens do like when you see him it's I can't like it's I know this is sometimes gets an it's an annoying point but when you see him up close like I was kind of wondering how do you counter it when Itoji stands in four different times in the game as a scrum half like yeah. what, you don't you don't anticipate that or when Guy Ringo's does a lot for Leinster like stands in as a scrum half then he's in as a first receiver then he's sometimes he's in as a third receiver um there's a there's a really great piece of analysis by um Three Red Kings the the Munster uh, fan forum if, if, on his on his um. Patreon page where he does just cuts a minute long segment and it, I think it, it, if you want to see how hard Munster had to work in this game just watch that one minute back again because defensively they were obviously fatigued like it's just wave after wave Peter Manton said that that's it we'll hear that later like it's a direct line wave after wave but even offensively how hard they work to just frustrate you like this if you watch this passage like Munster are putting three four players really resourcing rooks because every single time they make a tackle Saracens are making you work like they just they drag you down they really really fatigue you it's kind of like a slowly strangling you and then eventually they spread it wide and look awesome while they do it and right now Munster just don't have that like that yeah. added 5% yeah and I think we'll, we'll come back to Munster and see where, <laughs> where they get that from in a few minutes but I think I think it's actually important for all the negativity that followed the game and we will talk about that as well to, to, to talk up how good Saracens were yeah. and it's funny you talk about the 10 because I do want to stay on that on that kind of positive note and to, to go to the other match and the importance of the 10 because you see a difference then in like the Lions number 10 for the last tour with the Lions number 10 from the previous and 12 and 10, whatever way they yeah. ended up playing together in Sexton. He was so, so good at the weekend. And sometimes we forget um, just how effective and world-class Johnny Sexton can be when he goes through. Maybe he doesn't play much rugby because of injury. He had a few kind of quiet games for Ireland in the Six Nations where he just didn't look his, his controlling best. And you forget what he was like last November, what he was like last summer, where it's just, Johnny Sexton is the best at what he does in the world and it was the first time we'd seen that in a long time and you look then at the other side of the field and you look at someone like Dupont as you mentioned the 9 and 10 kind of just, yeah, you know just, it's yeah. better when he went to 9 like but exactly. you know and, and into back there too the, the current two French halfbacks you know 
and it's just a different league. So again, it's almost to make it, it again. It sound like I'm making another excuse for Tyler Tyler Blendell, but these guys are just a league apart from everybody else, almost in the world at the moment, you know. And it was amazing to see Sexton running a game like that again. Um, as I said, I think I think the Irish rugby psyche needed in a way. Yeah, and like the there's obviously there's the really fundamental stuff. Like it's great to see him the like back in confidence when you know he ekes out every single inch out of a oh, yeah. touch finder like oh yeah that, the, the, there was that kick to the corner in the first half you know exactly, I, yeah. I know the one you're yeah, talking about yeah, straight like, away where you're like oh it's Johnny yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like so all that stuff is brilliant to see or even like his conversion I think he only missed one like his, his kicking was brilliant and I wonder by the way a side point on that um, Dave Allred who's obviously a really famous rugby coach put up a video on Twitter this week in Ireland working with Johnny Sexton I know they've worked together in the past it's just yeah. interesting that that happened this, this week um, yeah like kind of a kicking coach guru a guy yeah who, like, he was uh, the Johnny Wilkinson exactly, kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like I, he puts up he, like I'm, I'm just a really simple example like he always talks about like the shapes kickers are supposed to kick with with their foot like kick in a J shape not you know in a C shape because if you're pulling across the ball that kind of stuff but anyway uh, just interesting to see they were working together this week yeah uh, but as, uh, as, as an aside to all that kind of stuff what I think is really good to see uh, Wilkinson, or sorry, Sexton doing is, um, is you know, if you look at James Lowe's try, like the loop he ran back, he, yeah. he, that was brilliant. Like he totally fixed the defender and then spread the ball really quickly wide. It was, yeah. Like, that's that. That was a sign that he's alive and run, and you know he he's doing what a ten command, yeah. should be doing. And it goes back to your original and your point and the way you were talking about Farrell is there's so much more to it than just the kicking yeah. game. Sometimes yeah. that we're watching for it is it's the playmaker role in every way yeah exactly like the i'm um, just a final point on this it's it i don't think it's it's necessarily that fair like you wouldn't you wouldn't ask somebody like um i don't know like james mclean to be like Lionel messi like you, 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 you but you want to like it's just not fair like you like when they're performing at their best like james king can be a good player when he's at his best messi is a different stratosphere and sometimes there just is that huge gap between between players that makes a massive massive difference especially when you're talking about a position that's like you know, these are game makers. These you like you're, these are game changers. I mean, these are your, your playmakers. These are guys who are going to set the tempo for everything that happens after. The ball is vast, vast majority of the time going through them, or they're making calls. Mm. And I think that was a lot more evident when a guy like JJ Hanrahan, when he came on, who was actually willing yeah. to try and carry the line and maybe take slightly more risk. But the game was gone at that stage anyway. Yeah, but play, but yeah, like you know, kind of, you can play a certain style. You might not have to be the uber talented person but you take those kind of few risks and stuff yeah i absolutely agree with you on that uh just going just on leinster again right so actually, actually it's going back to saracens for a second it, was, it dawned on me during the game you're kind of looking at it's rare you see this saracens team with everybody fit and everybody playing and you know even mako vinopola came back for the game his, for his first game back since the six nations and you know you're looking at like god like mako vinopola was like england's you know, he dominated Ireland in, in for England. You know, you've got Billy Vinopola in the, probably the best form of his career, all, you know, outside forces aside. Um, you've got Atoji and Cruz in the second row. You've got Farrell, you know, the, you know, the one or 1A of the best out half in the world. Yeah. You've got all these players just at the top of their game. You're thinking, like, these are all of England's best players. They're not just, like, the majority of the England team. But then... I'm looking for. I'm looking ahead to. We're used to that with Leinster, but you do kind of forget it sometimes as well. It's like this is the majority of the Ireland, the the really like the best of Ireland, really. You know, you with Ringrose, with James Ryan, with Furlong, with Sexton, obviously. You know, and all of these players. And I think we were laughing a little, you know, kind of joking a little bit last week about Leinster's lack of form going into this game. But I think these players, like, I think it was great to see them back at that level again 
almost from an Irish perspective, not just from an Leinster perspective, where you're just like, this is what the this is what we know that these players can perform like. And again, it's not necessarily the same with world beaters. It's the next match that's going to be the most important there. Yeah. That's a that's a mini Ireland versus England really at this stage, you know, um, ahead of the World Cup. Like it's better than any World Cup warm up that we're going to get. But you know, they did the job and they all kind of performed at that level again that we kind of haven't seen for a few months. And it was like, you know, you were expecting it from Saracens. You knew that those English players were kind of you know, they were, they were gathering momentum as this year is going on and you kind of almost expected them to come and hit you at 100 miles an hour and run through you like a wall. But the Irish lads, we needed to see that from them again as well, like, didn't we? Yeah, and like, it's funny you mentioned that because we, we'll hear from Bernard Jackman later as well, but Bernard Jackman spoke about the idea, like Sexton, even how he spoke after the game, like he spoke about the amount of times that Saracens have referenced last year's quarterfinal. Like he was, he said he was shocked by the amount of times they referenced that game. It's clear, I think, that they he called it in his... Um, Virgin Media interview, he called it the biggest game of his career, this this final. Like, it's clear they're conscious of the idea that this game is, like, it's, like, legacy-defining, really, for both yeah. of them. For both, like, this is the, who's the top dog in this era in Europe? This is the game that'll decide that. And the fact that it looks increasingly likely that we're going to get to, not only get the two best teams playing each other, but in their best form is, like, that's a really exciting proposition yeah, that we don't, we don't yeah. normally get in elite-level sport. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's like as if, you know, it's like Saracens had by their standards they're down year last year with injuries and everything else and it was like as Leinster were coming back but now we see them you know back like it's I don't know what for some reason it's going to be a Cotto star in Denman or something like that you know it was <laughs> yeah. like Cotto star missed that other goal cup and then they're, now they're back there together you know but that's what I was going to say to you so as sad as we all are about Munster and like I genuinely am and I really I like you know i thought halfway through the second half they could get back into it i was watching it fully as a fan you know not as an analyst but as a rugby nerd and you know as you are <laughs> as, as i'd love to be you know there's kind of just something seriously exciting about seeing these two teams clash like that that kind of almost overrides you know the the, the occasion that would be the all-ireland final yeah and like especially because there's nuances to this like there's Saracen's ability to have three runners all coming up one time off a nine and Rhodes ended up running for a try like there's there's levels to that we probably I certainly don't fully appreciate until I've watched these games back you know two or three times but the fact that you get two teams at a similar like wave of thinking is like it's it's phenomenal like it's phenomenal that you're going to get a battle like Atoje versus James Ryan or you know Johnny Saxon versus Owen Farrell like this this is stuff that kind of you would dream about kind of getting these um that's the final that we've all kind of wanted secretly i think even though the all Irish thing would have been great like the, in terms of what it means a, a, as a whole i think it's um it's just gonna be really exciting yeah absolutely can't wait um i do want to talk about like we're going to hear from uh, peter matney in a few minutes um from the press conference about munster and where they kind of go from here and we should dig in deep a little bit to that we'll also talk a little bit more about leinster and we'll hear from uh, bernard jackman who you were speaking to in the aviva stadium after the game about um basically like how you know their this current team's legacy and kind of how that relates to the to the three out of four team um that he was part of in the early days and various other things but just before we do and i, I mentioned this earlier i do want to talk a little bit about i suppose the whole Billy, Billy Vinopola, um, you know, I suppose side sideshow that was yeah. over the course of the weekend, mainly after the match, really. I have to say, I watched the game not really thinking too much about Vinopola. I think what happened to him was probably, and I don't look. I, 
I don't want to be casting judgment. It's not my place to say what he should have got for what he said or what, you know, for liking a tweet and commenting, agreeing with Israel Folau, just in case anybody didn't um, somehow miss this story. Basically, what fin- Billy Vinopola did was like Israel Folau's rather disgraceful tweet about, you know, um, homosexuals and various other people, including yeah, like people who drink and all should be going to hell and commented by saying that men and women were basically created to procreate yeah. and uh, am I wrong in saying that and that they're his religious beliefs and you know that's that's one thing now he got a lot of criticism for it the RFU and Saracens about reprimandum and he came out with a an apology I suppose it wasn't it wasn't really that, it wasn't yeah, really yeah. an apology it was a, a clarification I suppose yeah. right didn't mean to offend anyone okay he is obviously under a lot of pressure about that. I, to be honest, probably thought that was an appropriate punishment. Doesn't need to be any more than that. What happened was he scores the ceiling try in the game. And as the ball is touching down, the BT commentator says, like literally as the ball is still in play, it's just touching down. Billy Vinopola, after the week he's had, which I was absolutely blown away by. I could not believe that that was how he was framing it that this was a an english tv broadcaster talking about an english player on an english team and framing it that somehow the person who had transgressed had been the victim because of the reaction to his transgression that led to probably about another half an hour in real time of this being constant followed up by him a few more comments by that followed up by austin healy taking up the mantle in a way we would expect him to giving a man of the match just to fuel the flames really and then followed by a post-match interview where they asked him one soft question about it he says he believes what he believes and he didn't mean to hurt anyone and it's like thanks very much there's a video of the bt um of the bt uh uh sideline reporter apologizing for to him for asking the question followed by an idiot Munster fan coming onto the field in loafers and shorts and no socks and accosting him in some way, which <laughs> apparently Vinopola was very scared of. Um, maybe he thought he was gay. Um, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, on and on it goes to the fa- to a, a, a campaign in the English press that basically are calling Munster fan hooligans for uh, unprecedented treatment of a, of a player. There was... Um, you know, equality flags removed from the stadium and taken away by by home stewards of Munster fans, which literally makes no sense whatsoever. Again, is it a political banner? Where I suppose we're going into kind of John Delaney kind of territory there, like you know, as to what defines whether what yeah. stewards have the right to take off people. So, like, it was just an unbelievable saga that kind of completely do- from that moment that Vinopola touched down the ball it dominated the rest of the coverage up until now really and I have to say like you know you were saying like things that you know you come up to sports sometimes for to get away from it all and I completely agree with you but I was genuinely just angry at that at just this idea I suppose Morris that you know man does good at sport man redeems bad behavior those two things aren't linked yeah. if you don't want to mention them if you don't want to say anything else, if you want to say, like, he, he, he discovered the perils of the like button, I think was the craziest line I've ever heard in my life. You know, as if, like, you know, oh, God, we've all, we've all said things that we secretly think, but we don't want out in public. The poor fella. Yeah. You know? Anyway, sorry, that's my rant over. Like, so, um, just a couple of things to clear up. I was at this game. Um, the, this weird, really nonsense notion that, like, Munster, like, violated some sanctity of the sacred tradition, which is yeah. being signed for a kicker. Like, a 
uh, what happened was Munster scored a try. Jack O'Donoghue, uh, it was wrong. It was shouldn't have been a try to be honest. Like he he left the scrum, put his foot in. Yeah, there was two pe- two Munster penalties that should have been there so, before so, that Saracen so, scrum. Was by the way, like the referee yeah. was awful on the day. We're not going to talk about it because one team was clearly better than the other. Yeah. But to complain about that as the as by the way the Saracens coach. Uh, or assistant coach or whatever did in the live interview during the game as well but anyway that's another point so so after that uh, on Farrell said sorry JJ Hanneman took the conversion and Saracen fans were booing because of what happened with the penalty and they stopped as he was about to strike the ball simultaneously Munster fans booed not booed the decision or not booed anything they booed because Vinopola was tapping his crest I don't know if the I watched this game back and I actually don't know if the camera captured this I didn't see this so he was tapping his crest towards Munster fans after he scored the thing so just like banging his chest kind of like you know whatever I'm I'm enjoying this type thing you know this alpha male whatever Mm. anyway so that that's what most fans were reacting to. They weren't reacting to the kick, and then as he strikes the ball, so like whatever. But that point is just like probably shouldn't have even addressed that. To be honest, All yeah. The- no, sorry. That, look, let, let's elephant in the room, right? The, yeah. The majority of a lot, like there was a, there was other more reasonable comments that I feel were off the mark about Munster fans, right? And that I very interested in the fact that you were there because you're going to give us an actual. I'm going to ask you a couple of direct questions. You've just addressed one of them there. The the main vitriol came from Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times, who's an idiot. And a troll, and I've no, I, I, I don't think I've ever said that about another journalist, and I'm a hundred percent saying that about him. He's an, he's an absolute troll. He's out there. He hates Irish fans and hates Irish rugby, and fuck him. I don't really want to talk about him anymore. But that's where that came from. Yeah. So and right, right like it's actually it's really interesting you bring that up, right? Because from in my from my own perspective, like, like to clarify, like where I'm coming from, I like as a you know an aspiring sports journalist, like it's sometimes like sometimes I kind of I link up with like I remember. I didn't even make this point at the time when we were talking because it was so kind of trivial. But when Ian Costello was talking about the fact that he doesn't really watch rugby, the watch defence coach who we spoke to a couple of weeks ago, he doesn't really watch rugby to as a spectator anymore. He kind of watches it to see what he can get out of as a coach. Sometimes I have the same feeling because I'm constantly like reading other journalists and getting a sense of what they do and stuff. And this isn't a criticism of British press. This is just something I've noticed. Like you're looking at styles and tenses and formats and all this kind of stuff. And like as a as a spirit, Irish journalists, I think are like we're absolutely blessed. Sometimes kind of depressingly so with somebody trying to break into that. Like we're blessed what we have. And as opposed to that, I think sometimes, especially in England, and this is what happened with BT, you you kind of project a narrative onto something. Like yeah. and that's not necessarily true, to be honest. So say for example, when I was going through this game, whether like it's just because you're relatively new to this kind of stuff, sometimes in my head I kind of think, what could a good intro be? And a great intro could have been Monster's redemption story after losing in twenty seventeen and coming back in twenty nineteen. So that was in my head, that arc was there. And simultaneously, right, I think I sometimes I read like English press and I notice like just for example, a really trivial example I remember when George Ford came back from injury and played for England. Like he played all right, but he wasn't brilliant. Yeah. But the narrative arc and the story was the brilliant return of George Ford yeah. back to form. And simultaneously, I think what happened with BT, what happened there was that to actually tackle this head on in the format they have in the space that they're given is hard. Like it's a really hard thing what sh- how you should treat it. So they took the far more comfortable but wrong approach, which is to pretend it's black and white and project this narrative arc that isn't really true and wasn't really there because this was entirely of his own making. But they projected that on because it's easier. It's easier yeah. to do that. It was never about what he did. It was the week he had, like as if he'd been some some through some sort of ordeal. Like that that like Billy Billy Vinopola's life had been taken over and ruined by this horrible scandal that he's found himself in the midst of right oh god it's so frustrating look here's the reason that it's not acceptable everything you're saying is true and by the way this isn't just english we talked about welch and we have to be very honest and we say that the irish are part of this as well right we are parochial in the way we cover a game that is 
you know a professional sport it maybe shouldn't be like that it is the way it is all our players play at home we go out they play as one of four teams or they go out and play as an international team that's how we cover them it's generally parochial journalists know a lot of the players they've met a lot of the players yeah you know was included and i'm I, like i never ever pretended to be anything but a fan of you know munster the other three provinces for sure i always wanted to win in ireland like that's just the way it is and, and it is different than a lot of other sports in that way right but but i don't see an irish journalist treating this story this way I'm not going to name an Irish, a player because it's it's unfair. I'm picking a hypothetical example. If a random Irish international, high-profile international, this scandal blew up around them, they wouldn't be treated with these kind of kid gloves. They actually wouldn't. And the Irish journals wouldn't, wouldn't probably like doing it, but they would do it. It's a sense of duty. And I've seen it a million times. And anyone who says you haven't is either a liar or isn't looking for it because it isn't the same. And I, the way certain members of the English press treated this, it's a buddy kind of it's 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 a middle class england boys club we're all together sort of you know oh god you're getting terrible treatment off the off off the irish aren't you mate you know and and it's like and we've seen it we've seen it in in, in tv um coverage in england for a long time it's gives a hug shawzy you yeah. know that's what it is they're all they're all like these mates and it's like the only way they're looking at this this wasn't this wasn't them attempting to deal with it this was them looking at poor billy vinapola yeah, like, and he him getting this shit like as if it's just out of nowhere, and and it's just it's so frustrating because it is not in line. It's okay to be parochial. It's okay to play to your own audience, but ultimately, when it comes to it, when it comes to an actual line where something serious is happening, you have to be a journalist, and, and that's where I that's where I would draw the line. It's a personal line for me, but I don't think you could be further. <laughs> like I'm admitting parochialism is okay, and so I don't think you could be further down a line than than I have it there. Yeah, like on that team, right? Just like as a final thought on this, like that line is there because going back to this idea of like an arc, like sometimes you just have to to turn your back on it, and that can be. Like that is a really hard thing to do, and sometimes it can you can piss a lot of fans off. Like I'm sure there's a lot of fans who still carry grudges against journalists or certain organisations because of their coverage of Grober with Monster. Like I'm, but that was like they're they're covering that as not as fans. Even like a way a way lesser scale example at the weekend there, I got a a message an email right, and it was a fan saying, "How could you give any player a five out of ten in your player ratings after our game? Like they tried their best." I was like, I know they tried their best, like, I'm, but I'm judging them on their ability. Like, I'm, I'm not. I, I like. I, yeah. I would never fault. I was like, I wasn't faulting anybody's, you know, commitments or endeavor or anything like that. What I was, what we're supposed to do is separate all of that kind of stuff and judge on on the. You're analyzing the, the, the game to the, the best re- of your reality, ability. Yeah. Or, or yeah. kind of deal with facts, which is a harder thing to do, and you're probably not going to make a lot of friends doing it. But you should still do it. And uh, I do. I do think not everyone like it. There's. But being some, I think some really strong pieces that have come out in England, or even like, even you know, like kind of these, what would you call them, like fan zone pieces. Um, Squid Rugby, the the brilliant analyst, the YouTube analyst, has a fantastic video on Fallout, which is well worth checking out. So I, I don't think it's it's everyone there, but I just think there's been a certain element which started with what BT did, which they kind of they abdicated it to be honest, and they yeah. they, they accepted what is, you know, they there was a, there's a grey area there, and they preferred to go into you know like these black and white areas and try and pretend that it was all okay and part of an arc and they they've kind of failed to represent reality to be honest yeah absolutely i think there is a gray area and i think that it's 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 probably worth discussing you know and like i would have the opinion that you know if you have religious views but they are you know somehow anti the personal choice of somebody else has nothing to do with your religion then i don't understand how you have the right to talk about it but i'm open to a discussion on that i really am yeah but this idea that you know it's like he was vilified for no reason 
is kind of the way they were they were couching it. So look, that's we've we've talked enough about that. I do want to get back to rugby. We, we we've wasted too much of our time after such an amazing <laughs> weekend, but it really did explode. It was absolutely huge, and and it dominated the whole of um, Saturday afternoon, really. But let's go back to Munster because it is three semi-final defeats in a row. We're saying they're getting better all the time. The scores aren't necessarily showing that. You know, it's similar enough kind of like, you know, outcome to the last time they played Saracens two years ago. Um, they probably didn't, as you said, show up against Racing last year. But they have made three semi-finals in a row. They're not that far off. You talked to Peter Matney, um a little bit after, at the press conference after the after the match. Yeah, so just to... I suppose contextualise what we're about to hear here. This is Peter Manny talking about what, what they face and also the idea, just it's a funny side, but that, you know, there was 16 points differential in the last two semi-finals, both against Saracens. Like, so, like, so you might look at that and wonder, has there been, been any progress? And this is kind of his own take on that and the, the game in general. You know, it was, it was a nutritional first half, you know. They played a lot of rugby in, in our half and, um, you know, had a lot of ball and... Uh, we felt good coming in at half time. We, you know, it was a difficult half, but you know, three points. We thought in a good place, um, and look, we we did our homework. Um, you know, they scored a lot of points in the first twenty of the first half, and and, and the second or the, the first twenty in the second half. And um, look, we 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 struggled with them uh, for the first 15, 20 minutes of the first half or of the second half. Um, and, and that was probably the turn in the game, you know, we, we certainly got back to nine points, but, you know, another couple of penalties, um, I'm not going to say discipline was was the reason we lost the game, it certainly wasn't, you know, but the areas that we conceded the penalties, um, you know, a guy like Owen is, is going to knock them over and, you know, seven or eight or, eight or nine or whatever he kicked, you know, it, it's going to be difficult and, and it certainly was out there, um, so we, we certainly don't have any complaints. Yeah, I, 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 they, they probably stuck their game plan. You know, they, they're they're just big men. They're hard to stop when they're when they're going forward. You've you know you know you've guys like Owen and and um, you know Good pulling the strings either side of the ball. So you're it's hard to um, it's hard to know which which direction they're going. Um, and then added to the fact that you know you've guys like Mako and and Billy, um, guys like Skelton coming on. Um, just giving you, giving you momentum, and it was just hard to stop. Um, so that's that was the kind of second fifth, the, the, the fifteen minutes. It just felt like it was wave after wave, and, and um, you know they, they played very well. Um, you know, we've come a long way. We we have come a long way as a team and as a squad. Um, I'm not going to argue with a sixteen-point difference. You know what I mean? Um, but I say that they're, you know, they're 20, 25 points better than us now. But you know, I'm not going to argue with 16 points. I thought that they outplayed us today. Um, and as uh, you know, has been said, yeah, you know, you, you, you do get to a stage, you know, nine points down, even after scoring a try, and you're still chasing the game, and you're still probably playing out of your game plan a little bit. Um, you know, we play rugby in in, in areas that we probably. Didn't plan on doing so as a result of being down by that much. Um, so, you know, with their defence, the way they go after teams, particularly in our half, um, you know, it makes that a little bit more difficult when you are trying things that, you know, if we were 
closer or ahead, we probably wouldn't be doing. Um, and again, when you make mistakes in that area or concede penalties, you're conceding three points or, or you're conceding turnover position within you know 20, 25 yards, um, give or take, of your line. So. Um, you know that that certainly doesn't add an element when you when you do go down by a score or more. Um, it just makes it that little more difficult to play with it, play all your hand. I just want I don't know from a monster point of view. I just want to see Peter Matney sitting on that day some other day. You know, just in a in a, in a happier context. Yeah, and we, like it's funny you say that, right? We had um, we sp- I spoke to Niall Ronan after this game, to, who obviously was a part of the squad in two thousand and eight and was on that you know, legendary monster team. And he talk, talked about Peter Matney and the idea that, like he pinpointed two things. You can check this up, it's up on site already. He pointed, point pointed two things that monster need to tr- finally break that like 5% margin. And the two things he pointed that was one, he's not sure if they have enough leaders in the same way they had Paul O'Connell, Dougie Howlett, um, Ron Guerra, these kind of players who, when you're under the cosh and you're like, a team was hunting a terrible turnover, you had a safety net in the fact that you could fire a ball out to O'Gara and he'd ping it out into their opposite and home 22 and relieve pressure. Like the, I don't know if Munster have that kind of leadership figures enough. They obviously have, so, like Peter Matney is definitely one of them, Conor Murray, these kind of guys, but I don't know if they have the same level of them as you, that kind of Munster team do. And simultaneously, he also spoke about the idea of, you know, like we always talk about new ideas. Felix Jones, weirdly, has been a figure who's getting a lot of criticism online after this game. Even though, like, as I, the move I spoke about earlier, this... You know, twelve standing in at ten, flying out to thirteen with an arc around. But that's a that's in a clever move. Like there's obviously yeah. talk gone into that. It's more so about execution at times, I think. But that outside voice doesn't necessarily have to be a coach. Like it could be a player. So Niall spoke about um, Rui Tapuki, the the New Zealand centre, who obviously was actually very friendly with Mafia as well, but who basically revolutionised Munster's attacking game plan and taught O'Gara loads about communication and about shape and you know trying to have like an option at the back, like a one three three one system and all this kind of stuff. And I think that that's something Munster, that's actually realistic, like a goal to get that kind of a new voice, maybe like a new leadership figure, maybe a guy who could slot in a, a fullback and kind of herald Mike Haley through and give him a bit of guidance there as well. Like at the, that's something that they could look at, I think. Like you're, you're not going to, without going out and buying a world-class player, you're not going to catch up you know tomorrow like it's, this is going to take time it's, it yeah. is going to take time but there is certain small things tweaks they can make that might um might lead to that yeah i suppose we shouldn't forget like that joey carberry was missing and keith Earls, which is and massive keith yeah. too i was just about to say like yeah. you know because you're talking about your 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 chief finisher you're probably like kind of leader in the back five as well you know in terms yeah. of organization and everything else and you're talking about your out half you know and the guy who's just coming into international form really at this stage of his career um and for him to be missing he was the reason they were there you know yeah. if you think about the performances from the last few months you know it was carberry kind of like his finishing really that got them to sort of to, to the semi-final in the first place so definitely a massive massive loss um but you know i think i think we're probably agreed that Saracens probably would have won uh, with the performance they had with all of their players there. It was going to be a massive task regardless, you know. Um, on to the other game then, right? So Leinster, like, I was seriously impressed by Leinster because I, it felt to me that after about 15 minutes, maybe, was it even before Leinster scored the first try, that I thought Leinster had this in the bag. You just knew that this was, oh, Toulouse. I, I, was, at the, I was at the Leinster-Scarlets game last year and you kind of just knew from early on that this is this is their um, 
this is going to be a handy enough one for Leinster. You know, a cru- like cruising into a, a Champions Cup final is a kind of an amazing thing. I just kind of yeah, had the sense this was going to happen again, and it really did then, and the game was kind of over at halftime. Yeah, they, like they had their, from the very first second, we'll hear from Byron in a second, but they had their number tightly, and we talk about, you know, like playing the game in phases. Like Leinster clearly had a tactic that they were going to, uh, I think they, I think the Saracen, or sorry, the Toulouse pack as a whole was 60 kilos heavier than like that's nearly you're talking about like 900 kilos versus 960 like you're talking about a five percent difference there which we keep talking about these you know marginal gains and all this yeah. kind of stuff so what what they did instead was like they just totally outsmarted them like they kept the pace really really high that's why you know jack Horn is taking quick taps and running off the back of scrums or sexton is you know firing penalties into the corner really quickly to keep them blowing hard and so by like generally fatiguing them by doing that you could totally counter whatever sort of influence they'll have yeah. which is funny like a French team struggling with the heat you wouldn't think it but it's because they picked like Joe Teriyaki was picked at 7 that they clearly had this as a tactic and one of the like most interesting things I thought was Jeraine Kano who spoke after the game um, and he was kind of blown away by Leinster like he said they're kind of a world class team with world class players in every single position One re- this is a New Zealander yeah. here, and he said um, it was one of the most intense games that he's played like the it was just sheer ferocity going back to he kind of reminded me of Peter Matney like this wave after wave team how do you counter that how do you live with that yeah. and um, I guess like that's in lieu of what you will I suppose we can play Bernard now in a second but in on that team it's the kind of the idea that like to see Leinster at, at this level they kind of have the beating of anybody everybody at this on Saturday was thinking I was certainly always thinking nobody's going to live with the Saracens team and then you saw what Leinster did at the weekend and as, as Bernard will just say now like they couldn't that's going to be a, an enthralling matchup. Um, yeah, I think after yesterday's game, Saracens looked incredibly uh, impressive, and it was hard to see one of today's teams beat them because Leinster have been a little bit off the last few weeks. But I think what we saw today was Leinster getting back to the form we saw pre Six Nations, uh, and it's not a surprise. I mean, you had your best team out by and large, and guys like Sexton, O'Brien, uh, Carney all performed at a really high level today, and that. You know they're world-class players, and and that made Leinster very very difficult to beat. So I think they're all come back from injuries. You know, like Johnny, that's only Johnny's uh, first game for Leinster since um, December. I mean, it's uh, incredibly hard to influence a team if you're not getting uh, enough games. And I think it's testament to his level of professionalism and dedication that he came in today, having not played you know since since the end of Six Nations, and was as accurate as he was. I thought he was back to his best today. I think there was a huge performance by him. His kicking game, his energy, his passing game was phenomenal. So. Um, I think it's it's very hard to come in as well. Like I think in Six Nations, Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray got probably a lot of criticism, but a pack were dominated. You know, today Leinster were on the front foot. Uh, Johnny had a reasonably quick ball, and and you could see him, um, you know, play to the level that we expect. You touched on the pack there. They were pretty impressive there as well, weren't they? Yeah, they're really good because they're out man. They're out num- uh, uh, outweighed to a certain extent. Like two sort of massive powerful heavy pack and they obviously went after Leinster in that area um, but Leinster's set piece was very good you know scrum was incredibly solid then they put a lot of pressure on the Toulouse ball and, and Toulouse just didn't get any quality real pos- uh, possession uh, Leinster's discipline was very good and yeah it was, I think Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster would be incredibly happy given probably the little bit of a doubt going into the game in terms of the form of everybody just on that team about the, the big pack, do you think it was a tactic? Like There seemed to be a real team of trying to move the ball quickly and move them around the park. Even Jack Horner, when he took the quick tap yeah. off the back, like they clearly tried to get them on their feet and get them blowing heavy early. No, 100%. I think Leo uh, Leo and, and Stuart and, uh, would back Leinster's fitness. Leinster players would back their fitness to be more mobile um, and be able to play for 80 minutes against Toulouse. And think back to the, the last sequence against Ulster, the balls and play for seven minutes. You know, It's it's incredible. So they definitely want... I mean, Johnny took a, took a penalty very quickly, just hammered into the corner 
corner, Leinster ran to the line out. You could see that Toulouse were, were trying to slow the pace of the game down, going down for little breaks, and Leinster didn't make let them be comfortable at any stage. And um, I think Leinster might have been lacking a little bit of weight compared to Toulouse, but technically and in terms of fitness levels, they were a different level. I think this team are incredible. Um, the 2011-12 team were, were obviously, uh, they've, they've already done it, but I think Leinster, I think that's why you hear Johnny Sexton and those lads talking about this Saracens game being being massive, because give them, it's actually better for Leinster how well, how well Saracens played yesterday, because now it sets it up as whoever wins that game is like guaranteed best team in Europe yeah. and um, I think that's what these boys want to do Finally on that I suppose managing it both as a player and a coach like there's surely added pressure with that How, what should the next couple of weeks look like for, for Leinster I think the beauty of, of the Leinster squad and the coaches is they've all been there done that Felipe John Fogarty Leo Stewart um, even Emmett Farrell you know who uh, maybe a lot of people don't know about has been around to set up for a long time as an analyst and now involved in a kicking coach um, part of the games and then obviously you've got that experience and I think like Safardi um, you know he's he's going to be really key to that because he keeps the team together he's kind of like what Issa was last year you know when the internationals were away Fardy kept them together and it was, it was interesting he became captain at the end when Johnny went off so I think they've got a really good experience in the, in the coaches and the players and I think they'll manage it really well That's something just on that team that maybe Munster might need as well like Neil Ronan spoke with this this morning as well the idea of foreign players not just bringing you know, heightened ability but actually new ideas as well and that somebody like Friday can bring you know, so much off the field as well as on it as well Yeah I think you find with a lot of the Australians the really good Australians that they're, they're very smart around strategy uh, and around culture and uh, you know Fardy by all accounts is, is a really driven guy who you know makes people better and he understands the game incredibly well and I think that's uh, they go back to Munster they talked about John Langford back in the day he came in and he actually you know he improved the whole setup through his professionalism and, um, it, when you've only got a couple of foreigners in each, in each province it's so important you fill um, the gap that you're you're lacking. Um, so someone like James Lowe comes in, he gives you power. You know, um, James Gibson Park gives you a lot of speed around the, around the breakdown. Um, Fardy gives you that consistency and that that intelligence. And um, I think for all the provinces, they have to be you know have a micro focus in terms of what they need and then go find it because um, they don't have the luxury of the French clubs or the or the English clubs in terms of how many foreigners they can bring in. That's former Leinster hooker Bernard Jackman talking to Morris at the Aviva on uh, Sunday night. Well, like I said, like setting up Mon- uh, Leinster and Saracens is like what a European final! Like it's like we, it's so rare that we have like was like undisputed two best teams in Europe kind of coming against up against each other in the final. So really, really looking forward to that. He mentioned um, Scott Fardy there and some of the kind of unheralded heroes of Le- of Leinster. It's funny. I was thinking about Scott Fardy when you were talking about the performance earlier. It was like you know Reese Ruddock, you know cries off with uh, you know sick or whatever it was Illness, yeah. and you're thinking Jesus you know you do get Fardy Toner Toner and Ryan such a good partnership and you do want Fardy in that game as well you know I'm not saying it worked out to lose Ruddock but like it w- there was a good balance to the team because of it like. yeah it's funny like arguably two of Leinster's best players on the day in James Lowe and Scott Fardy wouldn't have played if everybody was fit yeah like the, the, if Gibson Park yeah, had made yeah. the bench like, and yeah. if uh, Ruddock yeah. was starting and yet they kind of and like just the Lowe is phenomenal by the he's, way oh, like, he's, he's such like, a great finisher he's outrageous yeah. yeah he's just such a exciting rugby player to watch um, probably a commodity that you don't see enough of yeah. in rugby his hair is ridiculous but <laughs> anyway, you see it when he was trying to fix the ponytail uh, after, after the, the try, try yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just sorry, he looks just, like Steven Seagal or something just to stress this point um the Scott Fardy point, right? Like that that is exactly what I'm talking about when you talk about what a foreign influence, what Nile Ronan was talking about as well, like what they can bring. It's somebody who 
even when players are away on international duty, there's a tier two kind of player there who can hold them all together. It can be a leadership figure. And I just think that maybe Munster could look to a player like that. Yeah. Like Scott Fardy's got offered more money elsewhere. Like that's a fact. He's been offered money in Japan to, to kind of go and do that. And he's, and he's turned it down. Like if you could get a player to buy in the same way for, yeah. for Munster, that, that, I think that like small things like that can be he the difference. He wants to win Heineken Cups. Um, you, can, you can understand that, I suppose. Um, we're almost out of time. Um, but quickly, if you had to call, if you had to call the final, I would. I'm going to say Saracens, to be honest. Um, but I think that'd be. It's nearly too close to call. Yeah. I think it, it, it. I was. I was totally blown away by Saracens when I saw them on Saturday, and then what Leinster did on Sunday would give you a renewed hope that that could be a, an amazing matchup. Um, and it's a game that I, I totally cannot wait for. Yeah, and then finally, finally, do you think Saracens will bring their will sell out their uh, their quotient for St James's Park? Jeez, I don't know. Like they. The, it's an hour and a half from Allianz Park yeah. to Saint uh, to Rico. Coventry to the Rico, yeah. um, and their crowd was like, "Can you imagine if Edinburgh had qualified? It would have been totally <laughs> deserted." Like, we'll, we'll talk about this at, after this tournament. If CBC, who've already invested in the Premiership, end up investing in the Champions Cup, which is look like they're doing, I think the format's going to be totally changed. And I think that with is like that can't happen again. Like they're going to like that's a huge, huge issue because it. The, we always talk about maybe English teams aren't taking it as seriously as they should. Um, that kind of gives certain evidence to that that it just didn't attract any neutrals okay right well we're, we're out of time um, we've lots more we'll get into a lot more there's secret interpros this week actually which is very <laughs> exciting it's like uh, Munster playing Connacht Leinster playing Ulster this kind of come out of nowhere I was I just saw it I was like what can't wait for that um, and lots more rugby to come actually even before the final because we're getting into the business end of the Pro 14 as well we'll be back with you next week we'll have our GEA podcast Tree Man Weave out tomorrow um, listen subscribe rate the podcast as usual we'll talk to you next week <laughs>